Jesus is praying just before his arrest. He's praying to his father. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Let's pray, shall we? Father, open our hearts and minds, we pray. Help us to hear from you. Help us to hear your word. Help us to take it into our hearts, we pray, and bring glory to you as a result. In the name of Jesus. Amen. First slide, please. Well, how's 2021 been for you so far? Any idea what's coming next? The Lord Jesus knows, and in a sense, that's all we need to know. He wisely thinks that walking hand in hand with him is a lot safer than just warning us about what's ahead. So suppose the Lord Jesus were to get us all into a room one evening and talk to us and pray with us about our immediate future. What would he say about the year ahead? Well, we don't have to wonder because something very similar happened in the Lord's life. John's Gospel gives us a very detailed description of just such an event. It's sometimes called the Upper Room Passage where the Lord broke bread and wine and shared his heart with his followers. It's full of comfort and wisdom for us. So let's take a look. Don't know whether you know these initials, they stand for too long, didn't read. This is not a good, when, a good thing when it comes to Bible reading, because the Bible's full of food for us. 
it's not healthy to be anorexic. So we're supposed to read and chew and digest and indeed enjoy. It's a way of waiting on the Lord. We sing, don't we? Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Well, let's do it. Let's make 2021 in a year in which we get our appetite for God's word back. What is our Lord and Master to say to us? Let's have a look at this marvellous discourse together. We're going to do the whole of chapters 13 to 17 in 20 minutes, so strap in, okay? Next. I love you so much. That's one of the first things he would say. You remember the scene. Jesus, confident in the love of his Father, comes and washes his disciples' feet. He had just taken the cedar meal, the Passover meal, the symbol and remembrance of God's greatest act of deliverance to Israel and made it about himself. He who was indeed God's greatest overwhelming act of deliverance. So then there is continuity between all the Old Testament church, God's dealings with them and what he does today and in the future. His people are all one with faithful Israel in the past. And the Lord of glory disrobes and kneels in front of them. He washes their feet. They're a bit stunned. Lords and masters don't do that. He washes Judas's feet, who in an hour or two would betray him. And Peter sees, but he does not understand and finds the whole thing rather improper. But he does listen to Jesus and obeys. Jesus never did let proper get in the way of love and mercy. Next one, please. This is a remarkable act, really. It's prophetic. It's the gospel in a nutshell. God himself reaching down to us in tender, tender mercy to people who indeed do not deserve it. It's a parable of the kingdom. Humility, service and grace are the hallmarks of God's way. And it's a spiritual lesson too. Jesus tells them to go and do the same for each other. So forget for a minute how the world does things. Humility, the dignity of service to Christ, mercy, kindness and grace are a big deal in the church. Humility is not putting yourself down all the time. Humility is about putting Christ and his people up. That's what nobility in the kingdom of God is like. You are not greater than your master. It is never belief, belief, beneath you sorry, to serve him or your brothers and sisters in Christ because God is not greater if you serve him, but you are. God wants his people loved. And you know what? He wants you to do it as well as himself. But do not forget how he loves you. We sing sometimes, don't we? You laid aside your majesty, gave up everything for me. You're living through difficult times for him in his name. And he loves you dearly for it. So relish the opportunity to serve Christ and love him back. 
Oh, and be humble enough to let your brothers and sisters wash your feet too. That's sometimes a bit harder, isn't it? Next one, please. Because God knows us inside out, you might say, well, of course he loved his disciples. They've given up everything for him. They've followed him around for three years, hung on his words. They were special. I guess in a way they were. But Jesus makes it very plain how he looks at things. I do not pray for them alone, but for those who will believe because of their word, that they all may be one, even as you and I, Father, are one. Sorry, that's you. There is continuity in God's grace far back into the Old Testament and forward into our times. You, one, with the Lord, with the church through the ages. You know, the Bible is wonderfully indiscreet about its heroes, isn't it? Especially when it comes to their feet of clay. Before the night was out, Peter, James and John would have fallen asleep while the Lord was desperate for their prayer support. Peter would have denied the Lord with swearings and cursings in front of Jesus and in front of his enemies. And then all the disciples would have turned tail and run away, all of them. Jesus knew and he loved them. Christ's compassion is amazingly deep. Do not doubt that he loves you. Christ is not weary of us. Even to Judas, when he identifies him as the traitor, he holds out grace to him to the very last minute, and it is spurned. And he warns Peter, who's not terribly convinced that he's going to mess up, but at least he doesn't spurn the warning. Next one, please. This phrase happens a lot in scripture. As you know, it's 365 times, which seems useful. It's not much of a comfort when ordinary people say to us, oh, don't be afraid. You might say, if you're not afraid, you just don't understand what's going on, and so on. But when it's Jesus, it's different. When he says, don't be afraid, it's a different world, because it's always accompanied by, here I am. Do you remember when the Lord went to the disciples walking on the water? They thought they were going to die. They really did. And he said, it's I, be not afraid. Those two phrases together. Why can we be, why can we actually take on board the idea of don't be afraid? We can do that because Jesus is close to us. Next one, please. He says, I'm going away. Is that a way to reassure people? Well, hear him out. He says, I'm here. I'm never going to leave you. I'm going ahead of you. I'm going to prepare your future for you. More than that, I am your future. My father's house is your future. It is secure as the son of God is and I will come back for you. Christian people, do not let your hearts be troubled. Why not? Because Christ is with you 
and will not leave you. And he goes ahead of you as well. He is organising. He is fitting things for you and your future. It's things like that that can make us say, maybe I should think about that and look a little less at the things around me. Next one, please. What does God look like? He looks like Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen what the Father is like. I am the way, the truth, the life to the Father. J.B. Phillips has it nicely, I myself am the road. So he's not just a trailblazer clearing the way, he is our way to the Father. His truth, his life, his strength are not going away. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father, they're one, their words are one, their deeds are one, they live in each other. And Jesus effectively says to his disciples, welcome your family. Come into trust, love, obedience and glory. Join us. Through me there is no limit on what the Spirit can do in you. Through me there's nothing the Father won't do for you. Ask and have. Your family. Here's my name. Go and use it before my Heavenly Father. Go on. Whatever you can ask out of your relationship with me, do it and you will have. Walk with me, obey me, do as I say, come close, and in doing so, become empowered, be greatly loved of the Father. Receive from the Father the Holy Spirit to be with you forever. Next slide, please. Jesus is about to leave this world. As he does, he bequeaths us something amazing. He bequeaths us the spirit of the living God and says, receive my and his peace in your soul. Receive me and my father as you receive the spirit. He brings the family love, the truth, the peace of the Trinity. He brings the power of God himself to you. He is Alon Parakletos, another of the same, a helper like Jesus. Power to follow Christ in this world and the power to have peace in a world like this. And Jesus says he's coming to you forever. He'll never let you alone. He'll be constantly in care of you. Do you need to be afraid when the Holy Spirit is actually in you. Next one. They went out after that towards Gethsemane. A vine. No doubt they passed one on the way. It's not a beautiful plant, is it? It's very functional and practical. It survives. You couldn't make a table out of the wood, but you can find some wonderful fruit on it. The branches are where the fruit is. That's you. But their life comes from the trunk. Be fruitful, because that's what a branch is for, Jesus said. Expect to be pruned and cared for. Maybe even squirted with pest repellent now and then. Who knows? Do read Psalm 80 when you've got a moment. It's talking about 
Israel being planted like a vine in the promised land and the parallels are wonderful. And Jesus says the more connected you are with the trunk, the better the fruit will be. Without me, you can't do anything. Because the fruit shows what you are. It shows what you're plugged into. Good fruit honours God greatly. And the trunk loves the branches so much. Jesus says, I don't call you servants. I don't call you slaves. I call you friends. Because you know my business, you know my mind, you are friends and companions of the Son of God. Next one, please. And yet, the more you look like Jesus, the more the darkness will react. It's not really about you, it's about Jesus. Satan cannot stand the image of God in us. Don't be surprised. It couldn't stand the image of God in Jesus either. They will dole out the same treatment to you for the same reason. They don't know God, but they recognize his image and they hate it. So when you're opposed by the darkness, it's a sort of backhanded compliment. The darkness sees the image of God in you. And Jesus says, but the Holy Spirit will not leave you in this. He will go on teaching about me and you must too. Slide please. God knows our hearts. He knows every grief that pulls at them. He does not spare us from them all. Jesus talks with his disciples about leaving them, going back to the Father and they're a bit horrified because we cling to what we know, don't we? And the Lord tells them, you'll be heartbroken and devastated while this world is very happy. But it's grief to an end. It's like labour pains. It brings new life. God will turn your griefs into joy. Even the things you would never have believed could be like that. The disciples don't know or they haven't grasped the idea about the resurrection or Pentecost, an explosion of new life. When we walk through grief and the Lord says, you know, I do not promise that you won't. He says, you may not understand. You will understand afterwards. You are asked to trust him where you cannot see. It's enough for the servant to be like his Lord. If they called the Lord of the house, the Prince of Devils, Beelzebub, they won't call you much better, okay? In the world, they won't love you, but the love of the whole Trinity is walking with you. So Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, prays to his Father with them and for them. He's about to suffer grief and loss like none of us could think of. Next one, please. Jesus praying. It's holy stuff. The God-man pouring out his heart to his heavenly Father. Extraordinary. It's a prayer after a discourse, a prayer after sacrament, a family prayer, a parting prayer. You know, if you preach to people, you have got to pray for them. And he simply says, Father, Abba, my dear Father, as he has every right to do, 
And as he taught us, we have every right to do in his name, Father, Abba. And you look through the prayer and you think, do you know what? There are no long theological phrases. There are no rolling description. It's not oratory, because God isn't impressed with any of that. Here's the Son of God speaking out his heart, mind and soul in the vernacular as if he was speaking to the most dear and intimate of friends. He worships, he asks, he longingly recalls his relationship with the Father, his past, present and future glory. Next one. Next slide, please. I love this quote. Acquire the habit of speaking to God as if you were alone with him, familiarly and with confidence and love as to the dearest and most loving of friends. Because that's what Jesus did as an example here. So Christian people, do you see how to pray? Say, Abba, my dear Father. Revel in the goodness of God as Jesus does here. His faithfulness, his power, He's not impressed with long phrases or whether you can wrap it in theological language or even speak in 16th century language. Just speak from your heart, mind and soul to him. That's how you pray. Tell him what you need. Acknowledge it all comes from him with thanks. Next, please. So what would the Lord Jesus pray for us if he was here now? Well, these are the things he mentions. I don't know whether they'd be the things you immediately thought of, but this is what he considers his church needs most. You look through the prayer and you think, goodness, the Lord Jesus speaks very well of them, doesn't he? Uh, and yet they're awfully human and they keep falling over and all these things. Yeah, that's, that's how it is. You know, heaven speaks better of you than you speak of yourself. The accuser won't be in heaven. It's going to stop all those accusing thoughts that you have. He will never love you, but heaven loves you now. And Jesus wants you to have these things. He wants you to have full joy in knowing that you are Christ's. He wants you to be protected by the name of the Son of God. He wants you to be sanctified by the truth of the Word of God. He wants you passionately to be one with each other, just as you are with Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And the focus on unity is remarkable, isn't it? It's on the Lord's heart. It brings glory to God glory in the church's unity. It's a sign to the world too, isn't it? That Jesus came from God, the scripture says. You know, division is a very bad thing. It tears the body of Christ and it makes us very weak. And often when a church has been through a divisive time, a few years later, people look back and think, what on earth was all that about? Do you think this prayer will be heard and granted? Well, of course it will. So then, take the name of the Lord Jesus and ask for these things. 
because the Lord Jesus has asked that you shall have them. Next slide, please. And then there's a slight change of tone right at the end of the prayer. Jesus isn't just explaining how the Father and the Son are with us. He's making a direct request himself. Father, I want. Okay, and he says this. I want my people with me in glory. You know, Satan hasn't got a chance of pulling you away from Christ. If you belong to Christ, Satan is up against the will of the Son of God. Who do you think is going to win that battle? And we can rest back against that. The Lord Jesus wants us in heaven with him, full stop, and so shall it be. There's a lovely story about one of the church fathers having a spat with Satan, and the devil says to him, I will pull you away from the church. You will fall. Your heart isn't pure, is it? And he just turned around and said to Satan, it's no good, I'm a Christian. Didn't you know that? I've been baptised, you're wasting your time. You know, you're in Christ, you will be with Christ. Because it's the Lord's love that's a mighty thing. We're not, are we? It's like a rolling ocean. It's like a big river carrying everything ahead of it. That's what God's love's like. It's a marvellous thing. And we're going to sing about that now. <laughs>